Let's pray together. Father, we're just so thankful that you inhabit the praises of your people and you're here with us this morning, Lord, that your presence is just as real as our very own. And Father, we pray that you'd be with us as we meditate on your word over the next few minutes, Lord, that it would shape and mold our hearts more and more into your image. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Over the next couple months, we've been, we're, we're, we have been and are going to continue to look at this book of Luke. And uh, if, you've, if you were with us last week, you know one of Luke's main questions that he tries to answer in the whole book is really the question of who is Jesus or who was this person Jesus? If you look, uh, the first half of the book really records the things that Jesus did. The second half of the book talks all about um, what Jesus taught and about his death and about his resurrection. But all throughout, Luke's main point is just to answer this very simple question, who was this person named Jesus? And as we looked at last week, there is no more profound question that you and I can ask about our own lives and ask about our world than who the person of Jesus is. What we saw last week is there really can be no middle ground. He can be all sorts of things, but either he is your Lord or he is not, and how you answer that question ends up becoming the most profound question that we could ask. And it actually speaks very deeply to our desires about life too. What we've seen is that Luke's main goal is to really answer that question and to show us that Jesus was God's Son who came to spread and accomplish the message of salvation. And this chapter that Tyler was able to read to us this morning, this chapter uh, begins to further that, that question of who is Jesus, to further answer who is Jesus by telling us a story about how Jesus was tempted in the desert. Now, the truth is, um, all of us, though perhaps not to this extreme, as Christ suffered, but all of us have suffered temptation. All of us deal with the reality of temptation that exists in our life. Um, Big temptations, little temptations, maybe even throughout the day, we experience hundreds of temptations to do this or to do that throughout our day. So all of us know what the reality of temptation is all about. If you know me, you'll know one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite television shows ever uh, was a show called Seinfeld. And one of my most favorite episodes of Seinfeld uh, was one in which Jerry was, um, was doing one of his comedy shows, and uh, a friend of his attended, and that friend began to heckle him while he was doing his comedy act. And uh, he, after, he was, after the act was done, he was really, really frustrated about this friend that had heckled him. So uh, he was talking to his other comedian friends, and apparently every comedian has the temptation to then go heckle the heckler, but nobody had ever done it. But Jerry decides in this episode that I'm going to go heckle the heckler, and of course he goes to her place of work, and he begins to heckle her at her place of work, and he gives in to this temptation that every comedian has had. I thought about the nature of temptation also this week when I read in the story about a dad who had a certain temptation as well that he gave into. This, he was a dad, he had had a teenage daughter, and he was constantly frustrated at the length of his teenage daughter's shorts that she wore out in public. I don't know if you heard this story at all, but he was constantly frustrated about what he appeared to think was the immodesty of his daughter's shorts that she would wear out in public one time. 
So one, one evening, they're getting ready to go out and have dinner together. So she walks down, ready to go out and have dinner with the family, and there she is wearing what her father perceives to be very short and immodest shorts. So he gave in to the temptation to prove a point. So he sees his daughter dressed like this. He's wearing jeans. He goes into the drawer and gets his scissors out and begins to cut his jeans to the same length of his daughter's shorts. And when they went out that evening, he was wearing these cut-off jeans everywhere he went. They had dinner out. She was, of course, mortified. But after dinner, he wanted to go out for ice cream because he knew that all of her best friends hung out at that ice cream place. And sure enough, he shows up in those short shorts. And after that, they go and play mini-golf in his short shorts, all to prove a point that his daughter's shorts were immodest. You know, the truth is, temptations are everywhere of all sort and of all kind, and we, we, we face them every day. H.L. Mencken, who was a famous Baltimore Sun columnist, wrote that temptation is a woman's weapon and a man's excuse. Oscar Wilde wrote that I can resist everything, I can resist everything except for temptation. What I'd like to do this morning is just look at a few things about the nature of temptation, what it means for us, and also what Christ's temptation meant for us in a very big, redemptive sort of picture. The first thing I'd like like us to see is that behind every temptation is actually desire. You know, behind every temptation is desire. You know, the truth is we deal with temptations of all sorts all every day, and what lies behind all those temptations are desires. Some are good desires, some are bad desires, but all behind all temptation is desire. There is no temptation without desire. And personally, I'm really convinced that most people act purely out of desire. I think we like to think we're kind of smart, rational, logical people, and we're defined by our logic and and by our kind of rationality. But the truth is, most of us just follow our desires day in and day out. If we want to do something, we follow that desire. Think about it this way. If um, If you had a job that you cared very deeply about, a job where you wanted to really climb the social ladder, a job where you really desired to be thought of well by your boss, and uh, it was your desire to get promoted and to do all this sort of stuff, then you will not be tempted to sleep in and miss work. Because your desire is so strong to impress your boss and to do well in your job. But think conversely. If you don't care very much about your job, if, if you got fired tomorrow and you didn't it wouldn't upset you or bother you all that much, then you don't have a whole lot of incentive to get out of bed in the morning and not sleep through work. You see, our temptations are fed by our desires, and what we desire most tends to really drive us as people. The second thing I'd like to see is, of course, behind every temptation is desire, but behind every desire, I think, is one of the most deepest and most basic human desires that we all share as human beings, and that is to have a life that truly flourishes. No one really sitting here would probably be able to honestly disagree with that fact. Nobody gets up and says, man, I'd really, I really want to lead a very unfulfilled, unsatisfying, boring existence. No. We all want a life that is flourishing. We all want a life that is what we perceive to be good. We all want a life that is full of satisfaction and fulfillment. And that's actually one of the deepest and most basic desires 
of, of us as people. But how we define what a satisfied, flourishing, fulfilled life is can be different depending on the person. This week I, 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 uh, I typed in how to have a good life in Google. And WikiHow, I don't know if you've ever been on WikiHow, I'd never been on WikiHow before, but I, I found WikiHow gives you 10 steps on how to have a perfect, wonderful, flourishing, fulfilled life. Don't we wish it was that simple? But everybody has a different picture about what that really is. But we also uh, have different modes at how we get to that. Because how we get to, how we get to a flourishing and fulfilled life is really the most important thing that we can consider. Because how we go about it makes all the difference. How we go about trying to fulfill that deepest desire of a flourishing life, how we go about doing that really makes all the difference. The third thing I'd like us to see, and this is what the scriptures are really clear about, is this. That sin, which we believe is anything that we think, say, or do that is, in, uh, that is contrary to God's will or, or in rebellion to God, sin is an attempt at its core at human flourishing that is outside of God's design. Sin is an attempt at human flourishing that is outside of God's design. The book of Genesis, if you read it from the very beginning, the book of Genesis tells us that God created uh, creation, he created man and woman, and God said that it was good. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were in a state of kind of ultimate human flourishing. There, were, there was full satisfaction, there was full flourishing. Adam and Eve were in harmony with each other, they were in harmony with creation, and they were in harmony with God. But of course, Genesis quickly tells us that what came along? The serpent came along, and he challenged God's design. He challenged God's picture of human flourishing for Adam and Eve. And instead, he offered Adam and Eve an opportunity to define human flourishing on their terms rather than God's terms. He offered them an opportunity to be independent, and an opportunity to be their own God, and tragically, they were tempted, they, were, they succumbed to that temptation, and because of that, what we believe the scriptures teach us, all of humanity fell along with them. It fell along with them in such a way that humanity's default setting has now become turned in on itself. We want to be independent. We want to be on our own. We want to set our own standard. We want to be our own gods. We don't want any standards placed upon us at all. We want to define the good life for ourselves. We want to define what human flourishing is on our own terms. And we don't want anybody else to tell us how to do it. One pastor said that sin gets its power by by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. The power of temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. But of course we know from our own lives and also from the scriptures that in the end, following our own path, defining our own human flourishing, try to find fulfillment and satisfaction on our own doesn't satisfy. Worse yet, in an attempt to be our own gods, in an attempt to define our own human flourishing, we actually stand condemned before God because of our sin. We are condemned before God for our rebellion. We are condemned before God for trying to make life work on our own terms. 
But as always, with bad news comes the good news of the gospel. And that's the fourth point that I hope us to see. And that is that Christ came to demonstrate that human flourishing is best accomplished when we live in harmony with God and with his plan for us. Last week, we saw a really beautiful parallel. We looked at the creation story and saw that when God created the earth, all three members of the Trinity were there. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we saw that in Jesus' baptism that we read about last week, all three members of the Trinity were present once again. And what Luke was trying to announce to all of God's people is that God was getting ready to initiate a recreation. That Jesus had come to make all things new. But of course what you see is right after in the garden, right after God created the garden, temptation immediately was there. And here, right after Jesus' baptism, the scriptures tell us that he went into the desert, he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights, and at the end of that point, at his, at his most vulnerable point, Satan comes and begins to tempt him. But we know from the passage that we read that Christ was able to resist that temptation because Christ came to do what Adam had failed to do. And in so, he demonstrated that human flourishing is really only accomplished when we live in harmony with God's design and his desires. You see, Satan comes and he tempts Jesus. He tempts him by trying to satisfy Jesus' hunger. He says, Jesus, all you have to do is say to these rocks, say to these rocks, turn to bread and your hunger will be satisfied. Jesus responds by quoting the scriptures to him. Man shall not live by bread alone. So Satan comes to Jesus again. He says, Jesus, you can have all these kingdoms of the world if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus says to him, Deuteronomy 6, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. So Satan comes again. He says, Jesus, just throw yourself down and your angels will come and rescue you. Jesus again responds by quoting, you shall not, quoting scripture, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In each instance, Satan comes and challenges the word of God the Father. And that is exactly what he did in the garden. That is exactly what he did in the garden. He's doing the very same thing of challenging the word of God the Father and saying, you don't really believe that, do you? There's a much easier way. There's a much better way. But unlike Adam, Jesus manages to resist the temptation because he, he understood that God's design for humanity is ultimate. The truth is, you and I are confronted with this choice every day, aren't we? We're confronted with choices all the day, every day, about whether we're going to live our lives outside of God's design or live our lives inside God's design. We're challenged every day with, with living independently of God, of trying to be our own God versus living in submission to God and living in submission to his will and his design. But the truth is, only one of those paths leads to true human flourishing. Only one of those paths leads to satisfaction. Only one of those paths leads to fulfillment. But Jesus was not just really resisting temptation just so he could demonstrate for us what the good life is. There are some people that could just look at that and say, well, Jesus was just showing us what the good life was. And he was. He was demonstrating, uh, he was demonstrating for us what human flourishing was all about. He was demonstrating for us what life lived in harmony with the Father was all about. But he resisted temptation for a much deeper reason as well. 
He resisted temptation not just to show us good life. He resisted temptation to accomplish eternal life for us as well. You see, the truth about temptation, this is the other thing I'd like us to see, is that his desire for us was so great, his love and passion for us was so great that he withstood temptation and he followed his path that led him straight to the cross. You know, perhaps more than anything, what Satan was doing to Christ that day is he was presenting to Christ a path that would not involve his pain and suffering. He was tempting Jesus by saying, Jesus, if you do, if you do this thing God's way, you know where that's going to lead you. You know it's going to lead you to the cross. You know it's going to lead you to suffering. You know it's going to lead you to rejection. You know it's going to lead you to eventual execution. And Satan said, all you have to do is just not do it God's way. All you have to do is, is just give in to this one little temptation and just not do it this way. And then you'll have to avoid all that pain and all that suffering and all that rejection and all the things that would come with it. But we know in that moment, Jesus resisted. He resisted because his desire for you and I was greater than the temptation that Satan was presenting. He knew that it was the Father's will that his life would be crushed. And he knew that in order for your redemption to be accomplished and for my redemption to be accomplished, he had to suffer and he had to die. In the end of the passage, it says that when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And we know that that opportune time came three years later when Satan didn't come to Jesus and tempt Jesus, but he came to Judas and tempted Judas with just gold and money. And Judas gave into that temptation and betrayed his Lord and Savior. You see, what the truth of the gospel tells us when we think about temptation, we think about our desires, when we think about life that is flourishing and what Jesus did for us, that the gospel tells us that in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our greatest desires are satisfied. And in no other place can our desires be satisfied but in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, one of the most unique things that I think about Christianity that, that is so beautiful, that sets it apart from other religions that are out there, is that when we come and we worship here on, on, on Sunday mornings and we live lives of worship and obedience to Christ, we, we serve and we worship a Savior who knows what our lives are like. We believe that he came, he became one of us, and that he suffered, and that he faced temptation. And what we've read this morning, he faced temptation in the most uh, palpable ways, in the most dramatic ways, so that when you and I face temptation every day to go our own path and to do our own thing and all that sort of stuff, we can, we can pray before God and our Savior, and we know that as we pray to him, he understands what we're going through. He understands our temptations. It says in Hebrew, for we do not, Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, some of you, if you're like me, we deal with the reality of temptation every day. And sometimes that struggle just grips our hearts in the most deepest uh, places that we can imagine. When we pray to our Savior for comfort, we don't pray to a Savior that doesn't know what we're going through. 
He's not some deity who's aloof and out there and doesn't know what we struggle with, but one who has suffered it just as we were, yet resisted it so that we could have life. And I think because when we understand that, it can provide us great comfort in life as we struggle with our temptations because our God and our Savior Jesus was there. But that's not the only reason he suffered temptation. Jesus didn't just suffer temptation in order for you and I to have comfort when we are facing temptation. He did that, but it was much deeper than that. He did it to offer us life. He did it to satisfy satisfy our deepest need, and that is for our forgiveness and our redemption. And he did it to satisfy our deepest desire, and that is to have life that is abundant. You know, our, our desires, think about your desires for a minute, because it's your desires that really drive your temptations. The, thing you deepest, the, the deepest things you desire tend to really drive your temptation. What Jesus says is, Jesus enters in, and he satisfies our deepest, most profound desires that exist in our hearts. So the question we're faced with each day is, do we continue on in our rebellion to try to be our own gods, to try to satisfy our desires in our own means, in our own abilities, in our own strengths, in our own ingenuities? Or do we rest in Jesus, the one who satisfies our most ultimate desires, the one who is our true source of life? Because in Christ, he gives us a life that is flourishing. It says in John, er, in, uh, John 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Living life on our own terms independently of God, trying to be our own gods, leads to that. It comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what Jesus said is, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he did everything he needed to do, which included sacrificing his own life in order that you and I could have life abundantly. He gives us a love that will never let us go. He gives us a purpose for our lives. And he gives us everything that we need. All he asks is that we simply flee to him in faith. And when we flee to him in faith and embrace him, we forsake trying to live life on our own terms. We forsake trying to be our own gods because the truth is they leave us empty. When we forsake those things and we flee to him, he meets us in that place because everything that that needed to be done was done by him so that you and I could experience life the way God intended it to be. All this is made possible because Jesus did not take the easy way. But he resisted temptation and followed the path that led him to the cross, that followed the path that led him to rejection, because you were precious to him. And because you, because he knew what had to happen in order to be in a relationship with you. You know, the truth is, what more do we need in life? What more do we need? God not only gives us forgiveness, not only gives us redemption, but he demonstrates his love for us. So much so that he resisted the temptation to go the easy way so that he could be in relationship with you. And that is the good news of the gospel that we need to flee and cling to every day, especially as we face temptation.